Welcome to another episode of the Business Samurai Podcast, a podcast about business and pop culture, and the companion podcast to the Business Samurai webcomic, which you can find on Webtoons, links in the description. My name is Ramon Cuenca, CFA. I'm the creator of Business Samurai. Okay, um, so last week I talked... Oh, wait, wait, before I start, uh, this might be a bit uh, heavy on the heavy side as far as a topic goes, and I'm not sure how long we're going to run because I, I do these things off the, off the fly, but uh, we're going to be talking about economics. But I'm going to make it somewhat understandable for people who, who aren't you know economics majors or, or, or really know much about it. But it's something that uh, follows off from last week. So last week I was talking about South Korea and why you know, K-drama K and K-pop are so, are so successful. Um, and I talked about I talked a little bit about the the economic environment of South Korea that created that that sort of fertile ground to to create these highly exportable and successful cultural products from South Korea. And I mentioned that uh, it, the the economic development of South Korea in that place was similar to that of Japan, um, in the sense that they you know they sort of open the economy to foreign investment, then they close it up, then they open it again, so they're able to compete. And uh, I know Japan, the Japanese model for economic development, was uh, influenced by an, I, an economist that I completely forgot the name of <laughs> that last week. Uh, so um, a friend of mine did tell me it was uh, Friedrich List, a German economist, that gets almost zero press, in the, at least in the English-speaking world. And... Um, yeah, that might that might not be true elsewhere, but and and uh, and if you listen to my my two previous podcasts, at one point I I, I was sort of complaining that you know when I was uh, when I was a student in university, all I ever read was or I heard about regarding economics was basically uh, uh, Adam Smith and Karl Marx. So you have, you know uh, you have sort of that uh, right and left economics dichotomy, which, you know, may or may not be true, but that's how it's always, that's generally how it's, pre how it's presented in the, in the U.S., where I, where I was educated. Uh, so we're going to talk today about uh, Friedrich List, and I think, um, obviously, like, I do a lot of stuff in this podcast about Asia, because people seem to like it, uh, and obviously a lot of my content is Asian-based or Asian-inspired, like my comic, which you can see, obviously, if you're watching YouTube, that, you know, I have my, I have a panel from, uh, the, from the business samurai manga business samurai right and you know it's manga manga style so uh i thought i would talk more about friedrich list and his impact his influence on on this uh on japan and hence this uh, east asian economic growth model at least the way it's worked in uh, japan and south korea and, and 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 to a certain extent china as well so we'll talk about that talk about that in a bit but uh, before we start, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, last week's episode of the Business Samurai Manga. So I have my little, my little meme up from last week. Uh, office survival tip, make yourself useful. So you have Clorette, who's a total novice to this sort of cutthroat you know, business executive world, trying to make herself useful, with, uh, at least show off that she's worth something for, to the rest of the team. Because if you've been following the story, you know that she's not a... She's not from the same sort of background the rest of them are. The rest of them, well, maybe not Li Shui, but the rest of them are, uh, have a, you know, they're from top schools. They've been in, they've been worked for prestigious, you know, finance and consulting and tech companies. And now they're, they're working for this, uh, Japanese conglomerate that wants to, and their, their current assignment is to launch a, uh, a, a, uh, coffee, 
a coffee retail business, a, a cafe business. So here you see Claret's trying to blend in a little bit by by volunteering to taste test uh, some of the prototype co- new uh, new products that uh, co- uh, new products of a uh, of cold brew that that they're developing to launch to grow the business. So yeah. Uh, Please do check it out and um, please do subscribe directly on uh, the, the comic platform Webtoon. That really helps me a lot uh, for what I plan to do this year with uh, with my with my entertainment IP. Okay, so um, plowing ahead, as Bill Burr would say. Um, yeah, so Friedrich List. Um, if you think about it, if he really, um, if he really did. You know, if if he heavily influenced Japan and and Japan set sort of the standard for this sort of East Asian economic development where everyone gets rich in like you know a, a generation, then he's theoretically like his at least some of his teachings have theoretically or or, or continue to bring close to a billion people if you include China out of poverty, abject poverty. I mean, uh, I, I know most of you are in the U.S. and uh, this is obviously an English language podcast and uh, obviously very Western oriented, but like uh, that 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 seems to get lost in the debate sometimes about you know globalization and things like that. Uh, and I've experienced it too, being living in the Philippines. That like it it has lifted people out of poverty, lots and lots of people, and we'll talk about that in a bit later on. But so it it might not be a complete stretch of the imagination to say that uh, this economist, this German economist, Friedrich List. Who lived in the mid 1800s? You know, his his stuff helped lift is lift uh, is lifting close to a billion people out of poverty, and that's an amazing accomplishment. So it's worth. It's obviously you know, and I, I hope with this podcast and even my manga, uh, is to help develop you know understanding uh, good global citizens, educated global citizens, so we can all help each other and learn from each other. Um, I hope. Um, you know, it's it's worth talking about this guy because he's not talked about at least in U.S. academia at all. Um, which brings me to this uh, to this um, article from the Atlantic I found uh, via Google, Google's quick Google search, and it's a really long essay about this uh, from this American academic. Uh, so I'm gonna pull him up now over here. If you're watching on YouTube. Uh, so this is the Atlantic. This is a not not an academic, not an American academic, but an uh, American journalist named uh, James Follows. It's called "How the World Works," and it was written in December, or it was published in December of 1993. So it's 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 a bit dated. So it's close to close to 30 years old, but there are still some some things that are relevant. There's some things that aren't, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But he's basically this is a point of view from an American talking about how he discovered a. Uh, Basically discovered Friedrich List uh, when he went to Japan, unsurprisingly, in '92, and how he this guy, again like the way I'm saying this guy's never talked about in the in the English speaking world or in English English speaking academia, and I, again we'll talk about that more as we go forward. But I wanted to, I wanted to and it's free to read and I, I highly recommend you read it. It's a long. I'm obviously not, not going to read everything. Uh, please read the article yourself. So uh, the Atlantic. Uh, just Google it, The Atlantic, How the World Works by James Follows, December 1993 issue. Um, so, um, so we'll talk about this. So it, it, it does lay out basically the, um, the, the core tenets of Friedrich Least's um, economic outlook or view. Um, it, it, I, I don't think this, this uh, article was without bias, and we'll talk about it later, but it's still again. It's a good place to start. Okay, so I'm just going to be reading select, uh, select uh, 
um, um, bits and pieces from the article. So here, this first, like, it's, again, it's a really long article, but I suggest you read it. It's a very long essay. Um, so first, so he, he talked about how he discovered practically listening. Then he, uh, he talks up, then he starts going to detail about who this, what this guy's outlook was, right? And he contrasts, because he's, again, Friedrich List was a German economist. He contrasts this German economic uh, view uh, to the Anglo-American uh, view, which, you know, today makes up mainstream global economics and which has come under fire recently and, you know, in the whole, with the whole populist movement and everything like that in the U.S. and elsewhere. So I'm going to be in here. Uh, Friedrich List, according to James Fallows, illustrated this, the strange self-selectivity of Anglo-American thinking about economics. Dot, dot, dot. Okay, when I say dot, 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 that means I'm skipping ahead, right? So dot, dot, dot. The Anglo-American system of politics and economics, like any system, rests on certain principles and beliefs. But rather, rather than acting as if these are the best principles or the ones their societies prefer, Britons and Americans often act as if these are the only possible principles and no one, except an error, would choose any others. Political econ econ economics becomes an essentially religious question, subject to the standard drawback of any religion, the failure to understand why people outside the faith might act as they do. So let me interject here. Political economy is basically, is basically because I, I, I tried to gear my course of study in, in undergraduate, uh, in, in my undergraduate degree in uh, Chicago towards this. It's basically, it's basically a combination of political science and economics. So just FYI. Okay, back, back to James Fellows. Okay. A society is supposed to understand the laws of nature as Newton outlined them. It is supposed to recognize that the paramount dignity of the individual, thanks to Rousseau, Locke, and their followers. So, so he's talking about uh, these um, these these um, European philosophers who who, who greatly in, influenced the Anglo-American out, out, outlook of, on the world. So Jean-Jacques Rousseau and uh, John Locke, for example. And it's supposed to recognize that the most prosperous future for the greatest number of people comes from the free workings of the market. So free market uh, economics. So basically, well, minimal regulation and, and the individual you know, can do what you want. You set up your business. You, you compete uh, the, the best, the, 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 the company or firm that uh, produces the most competitive products or services wins. That's a theory. of uh, That's basically free market economics. Uh, minimal tax rate, for example, things like that. I'm sure many of you are aware of this. Okay. Dot, dot, dot. With the rise of Asian economies, some Asian political leaders, notably Lee Kuan Yew of Singapore and several cautious figures in Japan, have in effect been saying that Rousseau's political philosophy, which is, a, by the way, which is the political philosophy of the, of the individual, the, the sacredness of the individual, uh, have, been, have in effect been saying that Rousseau's political philosophy is not necessarily the world's philosophy. Societies may work best, Lee and others have said, if they pay less attention to the individual and more to the welfare of the group. So doesn't that sound very East Asian? Um, dot, 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 dot. But the difference is largest when it comes to economics. Because this is, he's talking about the difference between um, um, Frederick List and uh, people like you know Adam Smith, which is sort of the, sort of the, the figurehead of Anglo-American economics. Okay, so, but but the, the difference is, is largest when it comes to economics. In the non-Anglophone world, Adam Smith is merely one of several theorists who had important ideas about organizing economies. In most of East Asia and continental Europe, the study of economics is less theoretical than in England, than in England and America, which is why English speakers monopolize Nobel Prizes, oof, and more geared towards solving business problems. So that's interesting. We'll talk, let's talk about. We'll talk about it later. 
In Japan, economics has been, as in effect, been considered a branch of geopolitics. That is, as the key to the nation's strength or vulnerability in dealing with other powers. From this practical-minded perspective, English language theorists seem less useful than their challengers, such as Friedrich List. Dot, dot, dot. These did not take root in England or America, but they were carefully studied and adapted and applied in parts of Europe and Asia, no notably Japan. So again, East Asian uh, economic development, um, some some foreign direct investment. Then you close it off. You develop your own industries, and you compete. Uh, you go back and compete uh, with with the rest of the world, and you you know uh, allow foreign direct investment again. Okay, in place of Rousseau and Locke, the Germans offered Hegel. In place of Adam Smith, they had Friedrich List. So now he's now I'm, he's going to talk about a few key characteristics or key differences between uh between what he refers to as Anglo-American economics and German economics, as, as typified by Friedrich List. So automatic growth versus deliberate development. By the logic of the Anglo-American system, if each individual does what, he, what is best for him or her, the result will be what is best for the nation as a whole. Although List and others did not use exactly this term, Sorry, uh, this is, I'm skipping ahead here. Although Least and others did not use exactly this term, the German school was more concerned with quote-unquote market failures. In the language of modern ec economics, these are the cases in which normal market forces produce a clearly undesirable result. A standard illustration involves pollution. So, again, yeah, that, that is, if you have, if you have completely unregulated, unregulated capital, and I'm, I'm just interjecting here, then you have, like, you know, problems with pollution, for example. Okay, dot, dot, dot. The answer to such a market failure is for the society, that is, the government, to set standards that all factories must obey. All right, so that's one thing. Another character, another key difference, consumers versus producers. The Anglo-American approach assumes that the ultimate measure of a society is its level of consumption. Competition is good because it kills off producers whose prices are too high. Killing them off because more efficient suppliers will give the consumer a better deal. Foreign trade is very good because it, it means that the most efficient suppliers in the world will be able to compete, right? In the Friedrich List view, okay, sorry, I'm skipping ahead now, dot, dot, dot. In the Friedrich List view, this logic leads to false conclusions. In the long run, List argued, a, a society's well-being and its overall wealth are determined not by what the society can buy, but what it can, what it can make. This is the corollary of the familiar argument about foreign aid. Give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach him how to fish and you feed him for a life for his life. Dot dot dot. Least was not concerned here with the morality of consumption. Instead, he was interested in both strategic and material well-being. In strategic terms, nations ended up being dependent on independent or independent, according to their ability to make them make things for themselves. There's some truth to that, I think. Why were Latin Americans, Africans, and Asians subservient to England and France in the 19th century? Because they could not make the machines and weapons Europeans could. That's true. That's why the Europe conquered the rest of the world. Process versus results. So here's another difference. In economics and politics alike, the Anglo-American theory emphasizes the, how the game is played, not who wins or loses. If the rules are fair, then the best candidate will win. The German view is more paternalistic. People might not automatically choose the best society or the best use of their money. The state, therefore, must be concerned with both the process and the result. Expressing an Asian variant of the German view, the sociologist Ronald Dorr, 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 
has written that the Japanese, like all good Confucianists, believe that you cannot get a decent moral society, not even an efficient society, simply out of the mechanism of the market powered by the motivational fuel of self self interest. There's another one. Another another difference: individuals versus nation. The nation. The Anglo-American view focuses on how individuals fare as consumers and how the whole world fares as a, as a trading system. But it, it does not really care about the intermediate levels between one specific human being and all 5 billion. Oh, it's 5 billion back then. What's it like now? 7 billion? All right. Uh, that is about communities and nations. Still, the assumption behind the Anglo-American um, model is that if you, can, if you take care of the individuals, the communities and nations will take care of themselves. Some communities will suffer as dying industries and inefficient producers go down, but other communities will rise. So because sort of that whole creative destruction type thing. And as far as nations as a whole, outside the narrow field of economic of national defense, they are not presumed to have economic interests. There is no general American or British economic interest beyond the welfare of the individual consumers who, have, who happen to live in Britain or, or America. The German view is more concerned with the welfare, indeed sovereignty, of nations and groups, in communities and nations, dot, dot, dot. That is, in brief, is a case that today's Japanese make, make against the American economy. American managers and professionals live, live more opulently than their counterparts in Japan, but they have to guard themselves physically and morally against the Dharanat people who, with whom they share the country. Sounds very prescient, prescient, excuse me, prescient given what's happened in, uh, in the U.S. in the past few years. All right, that's just, those are my comments. In, okay, going back to uh, this article. In the German view, the answer to this predicament is to pay explicit attention to the welfare of a nation. If a consumer has to pay 10% more for a product made by his, by his neighbors than one, than one for him overseas, it will be worse for him in the, lo- in the short run. But in the long run and in the broadest definitions of well-being, he might be better off. Okay, we'll talk about that later. Okay. Okay, another one. Business as peace versus business as war. By far the most uplifting part of the Anglo-American view is that the idea that everyone can prosper at once. If I bought you wine and you bought my, bought my wool, we would both have more of what we wanted for the same amount of work. The result would be the economist's classic positive sum interaction. Your well-being and my well-being would be added together would be greater than they were before our trade. The Germans had a more tragic zero-sum like a con- conception of how nations dealt with each other. Some won, others lost. Economic power often led to political power, which in turn let one nation tell others what to do. Since, since the Second World War, American politicians have, been, have often said that their trading goal is, to, is a level playing field for competition around the world. Okay, okay, here's another difference. Morality versus power. By now, the American view has taken on a moral tone that was embryonic when Adam Smith wrote his book. If a country disagrees with Anglo-American axioms, it does not just disagree, it is a cheater. Japan cheats the world trading system when, when, by protecting its rice farmers. In the German view, economics is not a matter of right or wrong or cheating or fair play. It is merely a matter of strong or weak. The gods of trade will help those who help themselves. The United Kingdom has a huge, had a huge empire. The United States had, had a huge frontier. Japan had, had the advantage of applying the technology that others had invented. Yet these, uh, these success stories had one common theme. Uh, this uh, Lazonic showed, so I guess he's talking about a scholar here. None of, the, none of the countries conform to today's model of getting prices right and putting the consumer, consumer's welfare first. All had to quote-unquote cheat somehow to succeed. And, and there is truth to that. I mean, no, no one ever, you know, everyone who has ever become developed, every country that has, and this is just me talking, every country that has ever developed um, 
you know, has, has, has had an advantage more or less. Maybe except for like the East Asian tigers, but like obviously the U.S., I mean the U.S. or the West, you know, they colonized, enslaved, and conquered the rest of the world. That's a huge advantage. Uh, Japan, you know, was right place, right time. They were able to get the technology, but they were politically united, you know, by accidents of history. Um, they were able to, to, to develop. So they all had these advantages. And it's true, like, it, it's true that to a certain extent, some countries don't have these advantages. But we'll talk about this later, about that later on. Okay, going back to this article. The traditional American support for worldwide free trade is quite a recent phenomenon. It started only at the end of, world, of the Second World War. This period dominates the memory of most Americans now alive, but does not cover the years of America's most rapid industrial expansion. So there's truth to that. As a business historian Thomas McGraw of the Harvard Business School has pointed out, the United States, which was born in the same year as the Wealth of Nations, never practiced an out-and-out an out mercantilist policy as did Spain in the colonial days. But it did, it, it quote, it did exhibit for 150 years after the revolution a pronounced tendency towards protectionism, mostly through the device of the tariff. So my apologies if I'm speaking fast, um, but basically... Um, the U.S. basically had protectionist measures for a long time, for a lot of times. So economic analysis can tell you where you get the, can get the best return on an investment this week. It can tell you how to change it. So sorry, I'm skipping ahead here. So basically, he's this this guy James Fowles is is critiquing the fact that a lot of economic analysis is is rooted in theory and not not reality, right? So. Economic analysis can tell you where you can get the best return on an investment this week. It can tell you how to change in tax, how a change in tax rates might affect the the, the unemployment rate this year. It can even tell you how a new tariff is likely to affect the volume of world trade over the course of this decade. But it has very hard time accounting for the larger rises and falls in world affairs. Why why it was England and not France that dominated the 19th century world economy? Why it was Germany, not Poland, that industrialized so rapidly at the end of that century? Why Japan caught up in the early 20th century and again now? Economics is a, is a wonderful tool for analyzing trends and change once nations have assumed their ranks. But getting prices right is not so good for understanding how they got to those ranks and why the ranks change. So he's talking, he's, he's basically saying that uh, too much focus on, on sort of economic theory and, and more quantitative stuff without looking at the broader politics and things like that is, is wrong. And I agree with that. All right, okay. So anyways... Um, this would not be a serious failing except that most people believe that getting prices right tells us about the long run as well as the short run. Okay. Uh, dot, 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 dot. Historically, economist Alice Amsden concluded, successful nations have gotten extra money by rigging their markets. The goal is to get people to save more of their paychecks and the banks to lend more for, for long-term industrial expansion than normal market forces would allow. To make its people save, a country needs to jack up its interest rates. To allow businesses to invest, it needs to, to keep the, the rates low. Under Anglo-American theory, the country would just let these two forces fight it out until they reach natural, natural equilibrium. But that is, that is not how successful developments have has actually occurred, Amazon said. It's true. I mean, you, you want to have, there's a high savings, there's a high savings rates on these, when these countries develop and that, that was channeled, you know, into, into industry. Okay. Dot, dot, dot. Um, okay, so he's quoting, I think, Amazon here. Quote, quote, industrial... Expansion depends on savings and investments, but in uh, backward countries, especially savings, especially savings and investments are in conflict over the ideal interest rate, high in one case, low in the other. And in Korea and other late industrializing countries, this conflict has been mediated by the subsidies. So again, it's government support. 
Thus, the government establishes multiple prices for loans, only one of which could possibly have the quote-unquote right according to the law of supply and demand. Moreover, the most critical price that for long-term credit was wildly wrong in a capital-scarce country, its real price due to inflation being negative. End quote. So basically, basically, the governments of these developing, these successful developing countries, you know, intervened with interest rates. Basically, that's what, what the, the quote is saying. Okay, so going back to this article, um, that is, in order for Korea to get enough in money into the hands of its industries, it needed to bend the rules. The crucial thing about this undertaking, Amazon Institute, is that it is not the same. It is not some Korean quirk. Every country that has caught up with others has had to do so by rigging its rules, extracting extra money from its people, and steering the economy into industrial hands. So I'm going to stop talk, quoting this article here. I've just quoted a fraction of this article, of this essay in the, in the Atlantic. It is very, very, it's long, it's very in-depth, but even though it's, it's almost 30 years old, it's, it's worth taking a look, and I highly suggest you read it when you have some free time. But I want to talk about my thoughts about, about, about all this. Um, so, uh, first of all, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, my own academic experience has left, has left uh, Friedrich least out of the debate. Uh, and even like the... The rapid rise of, of of East Asia. I mean, it's 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 all you know. And again, like as I've been saying before, this should be this should be re- required uh, worldwide economic development and understanding the the politics behind them. I mean, having a holistic approach to understanding how countries develop and why people got rich should be that should be required for every high school student in the world, right? So when I was in Chicago, the the focus was was on us uh, Adam Smith and Karl Marx, but not on, on Friedrich List or the uh, or the um, East Asian economies. The only time I'd ever heard of Frederick List was because he was mentioned in passing when I took Japanese history class, right? Uh, and so, even when in my professional education, when I took the, I, I'm a CFA chartered financial analyst, charter charter holder. That, that's like the golden, the gold standard for investment analysts. Uh, they talk about how the infant industry is is not correct, but they don't talk about how actually like Japan and South Korea actually succeeded uh, in. I mean, part of their part of their economic development, at least in one stage, they did have infant industries where they, you know, they created the, you know, the Zaibatsu in the in Japan or the Chebol in Korea. These conglom- these government supported conglomerates that have gen- helped generate wealth in these countries, right? So, those are those are my initial those are the initial things I want to say. Uh, but again, like, it's not that simple either because, um, as I as, I, as I've talked about in previous podcasts, um. This sort of East Asian model development, Friedrich least German East Asian model development, it only works when there's a, when this when the society is supportive of it. Because in the Philippines, for example, where I'm from, like you know, we had a dictator Ferdinand Marcos, and he tried that and it didn't work because why? I mean, there's no social cohesion. Like no one trusted each other. Everyone just everyone just takes the money and run and runs. You know what I mean? So like, and again, you can that owes to the the history of the Philippines it was it was a it's, it, it was a creation of Spanish imperialism and its borders were drawn by Spain and it wasn't it's not like a it's not a, like Japan and South Korea or even Western European nations which were, had a which you know started as kingdoms and they had their own they maintained their borders for centuries you know it, it's it's different you know and this is why you can't have these boilerplate templates for anything in the world as far as generating wealth goes and that's why this uh this um this discussion has to be required for everyone in the world. Okay. So, and, and going back to like, I mean, he kind of simplifies things too, because like, 
you know, uh, nowhere in this article, I don't think, I, I, I Google searched it, uh, does he talking about the, about how foreign direct investment also played a role in all these different countries, uh, even including Singapore, right? So I mean, there, I mean the. Uh, that sort of that, that sort of goes to a positive some theory that he kind of was poo pooing earlier, you know, like uh, you're good at this, I'm good at this. Let's trade, you know. You have cheap labor. Let's I'll put up a factory in your in your country because that's also part of how these countries developed, you know. So it, it's it's a very biased article in that sense because all these countries, you know, um, well maybe not maybe not Japan, but like definitely South Korea had like Japanese investments. Um, I talked about it last week. Uh, Singapore had a lot of foreign investment. I mean, like they're they're super open to foreign investment, right? Um, so it's not that simple. Like it's not black or white like this. They're, they're, you take things that work that are pra- pragmatic. But again, like I, I mean, this guy's kind of falling into the same trap of like uh, of just of of just taking one person's theory and just you know running with it without 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 again. Looking at what happened in the real world, because again, there are, there are examples of where Anglo-American capital or capitalism or economics did help, uh, did help poor countries. I mean, I mean, I can speak from the Philippines, like, like yeah, uh, you know, these uh, call center jobs they went from the U.S. to the Philippines. They, I mean, now the Philippines has something of a middle class here, you know. So and it's generated it's generated some some prosperity for people like there are Filipinos. I mean, I can tell you, like, living here like in the '90s onwards, like there's a been a huge change and. For a lot of people here, uh, so you have to be careful about these kinds of protectionist measures. And and the, the problem with, with protectionist rhetoric, protectionist rhetoric, which obviously we've seen um, in the U.S., for example, you've seen on the right with Donald Trump and on the left with Bernie, with Bernie Sanders. Like you, they don't talk about how to work together with different countries to avoid these problems. It, it, it becomes a zero sum game where you're effectively saying that. The life of, a, of an American is intrinsically more important than than the life of like a Filipino or a, or a, or someone from a, from Ghana, right, or or wherever in the world, right. And obviously, as a citizen of that country, that's important. But but you're also a citizen of the world, and this is why global citizenship is super important because we all share this planet, right. And it pains me to hear these these um these nas- these uh, protectionists or these nationalists like again on the left and the right rise up. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of a uh, of either. Although I do, you know, socially lean left. Uh, I'm not a big fan of either Trump or or Sanders. Um. So, again, and, and you we have to stop like we have to stop worshiping, and, and you know we get tribal. You know, human beings are tribal by nature. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a Marxist or I'm a Adam Smith, free end of the market for everything, or uh, you know, Friedrich List, you know. Like some things work in some contexts and not in others. So and and, and also depends on 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 the on the history and the creation of the country, you know all these things. Like you know, it, it's not a simple black and white thing. So it is true that um you know uh th- there is some need for protectionism, some need, right? But at the same time, like look at how, I mean Anglo American econo- economics has lifted millions of people out of poverty as well. Um, you know, I mean, as much as as much as a state-run, um, government heavy-hand, uh, Friday least East Asian type has, so it's like, you know, so is a so is a multinational opening up a business in uh in the Philippines or, or in Singapore. I mean, it's helped also, and even even in East Asia. So he's like, he doesn't he, this uh in this article the the author James Fellows doesn't mention how like, you know, like uh, um, in China for example, 
Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. He didn't really talk about. Uh, they were initially open to foreign direct investment. Like Americans are opening up uh, uh, factories left and right in China, and you know, um, or at least they became part of, or, or that is to be more specific, China became part of this, or part of the supply chain where their competitive advantage was, was lower, was cheaper labor costs and all that, you know, all the, and a huge labor force, which helped produce um, American designed goods at a cheaper price. So. Again, I have mentioned this before in uh, in one of my YouTube videos on the economy, but like, like that's part and parcel for like the the development of like you know products like the iPhone or the or the laptop even or you know all these things we take for granted are because of global supply chains also. So it's not that simple. It's it's never that simple, and I, I it really, frankly, really pisses me off when when extremists who see the world who see the economic world in black and white, um, you know, get a lot of attention, and I see it everywhere. It's unfortunate, and you know. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only voice in this sense of being like, a, in terms of economics, being like, you know, being more pragmatic and moderate about things and really looking at how different things work for different countries at different time periods, right? And it's just like not a. Anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm ranting now. Um, so, yeah. Uh, it's, not, it's not just about, you know, uh, if you make and all the thing, the thing too of like if you start a trade war, so he's talking about economics as trade. If you start a trade war with, with the other countries, you always risk running into a real war. There's always that, there's always that uh that risk. So you know, you know, I mean, so this article by James Fallis has a lot of good points, but again, he's at least he's supporting a certain worldview, which you know, you know, it's like. It sounds nice because like, oh, you care about the community and all this stuff. But again, like, it's not that simple. This is why I hate, even though I, I lean left, like, socially. The, the left is economics. Just, uh, it's not that simple either. Um, and I, I talk about the people. It, it, it's all, and this is why uh, ac uh, academia has to, has to step up and uh, make an unbiased uh, sort of program for, for being a good uh, global citizen in terms of economics and how we, everyone can mutually prosper and, and tackle all these issues it has to be required everywhere in the world. It's a, it's a, it's a large, uh, it's a big task, but that's, that's what I, that's, that's one thing I really care about. And that's even why, like, you know, initially this podcast and my, my manga were called global urban, urban professional. Like, and you look at the, you look at the story of of, uh, of the manga. It's you know people from di different nationalities and different backgrounds, uh, working working in different countries. You know, working in different businesses. That's the whole thing, and that's that's the sort of educational reform that I would like to see worldwide. Yeah. So I think I ranted long enough. I can't remember anything else, but you get the gist of what I'm saying. I can't remember any of my other rebuttals, but uh, you know, again, he, he makes some. This article makes some points. Frederick List has made some points, but again, it works. In, it only works in certain societal circumstances. And again, like you know, these countries that have you know, like South Korea. He's talking about, he's talking about how South Korea, like, like if there's a trade war, for example, with other countries, and South Korea can't can't export its culture to other countries, which is which is which is which is doing right now. So it's not that simple. You can't have these like you know. Well, trading as war it's it's you know it's a slippery slope so yeah uh that's it uh for me it's enough ranting for today um please uh please you, you can subscribe to this co this podcast but please do go to uh webtoons the link is in the description of this podcast uh go click on it uh please read my manga and please subscribe uh to the business samurai manga that, that is the most important thing because i'm uh looking to raise uh money and really really uh take my ip to, to the next level this year so thanks again, and uh, to this 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 podcast comes out on Tuesday. So 
on Wednesday, a new episode of the Business Samurai Manga comes out. And on Thursday, a new podcast episode comes out. All right. Thanks, and I'll see you then. Hmm.